Hey, Jacob's Well Online. We are here starting our Galatians series called Freedom in Christ. This week, we're going to talk about salvation and the true gospel and what it looks like to take part of that freedom in Christ. You can join us this week and then follow us through the rest of our series through the summer. Hey, Jacob's Well, my name is Jenna Kaiser. Um, it's good to be with you here today on your screens, wherever you're tuning in. Um, up until recently, I was working here at Jacob's Well, but my husband and I both made a pretty big change in the last couple of months, and now we're working together. We've sort of united forces to do ministry together with an organization called InterVarsity, and now we're working with college students all across the Chippewa Valley to know and become like Jesus. And um, as I've been navigating this big change in my life, um, and, you know, we've been navigating all the same things that you have with COVID-19 and conflict in our nation, in our cities, and new and old conversations about race and privilege, and it's got me thinking about what these kinds of changes have for us in terms of consequences and what it looks like to go through these kinds of changes, and better yet, what these kinds of changes can do for us. You see, um, I think we're in the midst of all of these catalytic moments, so these these are moments that can change our course um, if, we, if we would let them, whether they're hard or they're not so hard, and they give us room for something new to happen. Catalytic events, they give us this opportunity to change our course and embrace a new path, and oftentimes we can move towards more freedom in our life. And it's not just right now that this is happening. This happens throughout all of our lives. Many of your lives have been altered by and marked by catalytic moments. These are the things like graduations and birthdays and weddings and job changes and babies, milestones, right, that catalyze us to think about our future and our next steps in life. I know for many of us, COVID-19 has catalyzed us to think about our priorities and our foundations, uh, things like job loss or having kids at home or navigating sickness in ourselves or in our family members, all in a way force us to sort of forge a new path and think about um, things that often feel like uncharted territory. Other circumstances of COVID-19 have given us the opportunity for margin and for rest and to think about what, what truly matters. Uh, the national and the local conversations about race and protests and uprisings, uh, they can catalyze us to address or, or readdress uh, these, these things of racism and justice in our nation. You know, making a decision for Jesus, that's often a catalytic moment for us where we can choose a new season even to choose new paths, new ways of thinking, uh, new actions in our life. We find freedom in living as God has designed us to live. Much of the Bible is actually filled with catalytic moments. Uh, Jonah deciding whether or not he's going to go to Nineveh. Noah choosing to be obedient to God and build an ark. Abraham following God's call to leave his home. The whole book of Acts is a bunch of catalytic moments as we see the first church start. And as we jump into our new series on Galatians today, uh, this letter that we're going to read actually serves as a catalytic moment for the churches in Galatia. It's an opportunity for them to encounter true freedom in Christ. And Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia is a catalytic moment that was meant to spur on the Christians to this deciding point. They had to decide, would they continue on a course that would actually lead them away from Christ, or would they forge a new path and continue to move towards God? towards the true gospel and greater freedom in Christ. And, you know, once we know what Paul is saying to the churches in Galatia, I think we can actually have the same question as modern followers of Jesus. Will we choose in these new times, these catalytic moments that we're, we're encountering, will we choose paths that lead away from God, or we will, will we choose to follow the true gospel? 
And so for the next several weeks, um, we're going to be spending time diving into these questions and, and seeking freedom in Christ. Today, we're going to start right at the beginning at Galatians 1, verse 1. It reads, Paul, an apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To all the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, if we're honest, this is usually the part of a letter, uh, especially throughout the New Testament, that we feel the urge to skip because they all feel the same book by book. And uh, we sort of look for the skip intro button like Netflix has, right? But there are a few key things uh, we need to pay attention to in the very beginning of the letter to the Galatians. So one, we learn that Paul has been appointed by God to say all of the things he's about to say in this letter. Not man, and Paul is actually claiming that he has all of these qualifications because of the power that raised Christ from the dead. Uh, he says the power that Christ raised from the dead was the one that was the power that appointed him as an apostle leader. Now, if it sounds like a really bold move to connect your leadership and calling to the power that raised Jesus from the dead, it is. And Paul is meaning to make a very bold move here. The second thing that this tells us is that um, Paul is writing on behalf of himself and other leaders who share his concerns. So it's more than just Paul who's concerned about the Galatians. The book of Galatians is actually pretty unique because instead of being written to just one church, it's written to multiple churches. So it's as if somebody would write not just a letter to Jacob's Well Church, but they would say to all the churches of the Chippewa Valley. And three, the other thing that this tells us is that this beginning is unifying the churches around Paul's message and the true gospel that Paul has already given to these churches. If you're ever in need of a one-sentence summary of the gospel, look no further than Galatians 1. That's the part we just read about the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father so that he would receive glory until the end of time. And now usually at this point of an introduction of a letter, Paul would actually express thanksgiving. He would say nice, hopeful things to the people. He'd say, I thank God for you continually. I'm so glad that you're here and I pray for you all the time. But not here. Here, Paul just jumps right into uh, the bulk of his letter and it tells us that he really means business. He says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So the catalytic moment here that's happening, um, it's, not, it's not what's happening in the world around us. It's not a life moment. Uh, but this catalytic moment is sort of like a friend shaking you on the shoulders in desperation saying, what are you doing? Where are you headed? What are you trying to do with your life? How could these Galatians, how could they follow anything other than the true gospel as if there was another gospel, another saving good news? And when we read these words from Paul, uh, we sort of have to ask, what's he so wound up about? Like, what, what on earth are these churches dealing with? What have they gotten their hands in? What, what was this thing he's talking about that was, quote, a different gospel? And here's the deal. Here's what's happening with the churches in Galatia. So the Galatian churches, they came on the heels of a new era of following God. Because when Jesus came, it meant that everyone had access to following Jesus. Everyone could have access to salvation. Everyone could encounter true transformation in their life, no matter who they were. 
Now, this is different because for so long, God had identified chosen people as the Israelites, uh, who we read about through a lot of the Old Testament. Um, And eventually, they became the Jewish people. That's sort of the Reader's Digest version that we read about in the New Testament. And now, there's no chosen people, not the Jewish people, not the Israelites, and anyone can have access to God. Following God looks so different than it ever had in their history. And similarly, it didn't just affect these Jewish people, but it meant that Gentile people or anyone who was non-Jewish could have access. They were welcome to following the creator, but it was all brand new to them. And so none of this was an easy transition for the Jewish people or for the Gentile people. So what ended up happening was that uh, Jewish Christian teachers began teaching a modified version of the gospel that Paul had helped plant all these churches with. And that's why Paul so clearly at the beginning of the letter, he reminded of them of that unified, uh, that unified true gospel. He reminded them of what he planted them with, the true message of the gospel. And, and Paul's just saying here, you know, this isn't where we started. This isn't what I gave to you to start your churches with. And so some of this teaching, this modified version of the gospel, actually started to get out of hand. And so Jewish Christian leaders began claiming that conversion to Christianity actually required more than just believing and accepting what Jesus had done. And instead, they they needed to have further conversion to Jewish practices. Uh, We commonly refer to this as the law, things like circumcision or or eating certain foods or or following a religious calendar, uh, avoiding things that were unclean. And and we'll keep unpacking the law throughout our series in Galatians. Now, obsession with these rules and these regulations that they were so used to led to an allegiance to the Jewish nation. And so Jewish leaders and eventually Jewish Christians just started advocating for non-Jewish, non-Jewish believers to assimilate to their culture. And, and if they didn't, well, then they wouldn't be true Christians. They wouldn't really be saved. They wouldn't be welcome to their churches. They wouldn't be true Christians. When you boil it down, at the end of the day, this is one race telling another race that they can't follow Jesus because they're just not Jewish enough. Now we can understand why Paul would be so enraged. The gospel isn't just Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and also being circumcised. It's not just Jesus and, and also eating the right food. It's not just Jesus and, and also being the best race or nationality as if there is such a thing. The gospel already is, and and nothing can be added to it or taken from it, and and Paul has already laid it out pretty plainly at the beginning of his letter. So essentially what Paul is saying here is, I can't believe you would be so quick to distort the good news, that you would have the guts to follow anything else, anyone else that that would help you stray from the saving message of the true gospel. Now, ironically, what Paul is saying here about the true gospel should be good news for Jewish Christians. If they are welcomed uh, to salvation through their faith alone and not through their actions, they too are no longer bound by rules and regulations and unattainable perfection. What's crazy is that practically the entire Old Testament is about these people being unable to measure up to God's standards. And so God sends Jesus because people can't measure up. And so the irony that Jewish Christians are now demanding that non-Jewish people measure up spiritually is astonishing, just like Paul says. 
So Paul, in this catalytic moment, he's inviting the churches of Galatia not to another rules-based system. He's inviting them to believe and profess in the true gospel without any ifs, ands, or buts. And he's about to double down on it, actually. He says, "Um, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He essentially says that line twice because he's so serious. He says, even if an angel from heaven comes to you and says something different than what Paul had told them when he planted the churches, they should disregard it, and furthermore, that angel should be cursed. And you know, when when scripture talks about angels, it doesn't mean like, babies with wings and naked butts, okay? It means ginormous spiritual creatures with power. Paul is so serious about what he's saying here is that he's taking on uh, the spiritual realm with his warning. And his point here isn't to say that angels are spreading a false gospel, uh, but it's communicating severity of how much he cares about this. This is the ultimate, if everybody else jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? Except it's sort of a a spiritual version of that. So for us, it would be like saying, if John Piper or C.S. Lewis or Francis Chan or Tim Keller or frankly anybody who works at a church or preaches from a stage and claims religious authority told you to jump off a bridge or do something completely contrary to the true gospel, would you do it? Would you even know if if it was contrary to the true gospel? Even if someone else, no matter how prominent or powerful or persuasive, tells them anything contrary to the true gospel, tries, or tries to take anything away from it, tries to add to it, one, they should never follow it, and two, it says that person should be cursed. And cursed here, it's not a, a superstitious warning. The word accursed is only used a handful of times in scripture, and it, it communicates strict, godly, and righteous judgment for wrongdoing. This is Paul making a neon flashing arrow pointing to the true gospel, which gives them freedom, not rules. The rest of the letter to the churches in Galatia, Paul will continue to come back to this point. Do not desert what is true. Don't follow someone who tells you something needs to be added for your salvation. Follow the true gospel and encounter true freedom of that gospel. You know, as we encounter this through the, the book of Galatians, we'll find over and over that the path to following the true gospel is, is synonymous with the path of freedom. Later in Galatians, in 5.1, it says, For freedom has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Freedom, defined by God, is given to those who profess the true gospel. Paul's urge here in chapter 5 is no different than what he says at the beginning of chapter 1. Stand firm in the freedom of the gospel. Choosing anything else is to be enslaved again. The very thing you were rescued from. Right, for the churches of Galatia, this meant um, the true gospel, the true saving good news, doesn't require them to be circumcised. To demand circumcision is to then become enslaved to the law again. Right, it didn't require them to eat a certain way or present themselves a certain way. To demand these things would be um, making themselves enslaved again. It doesn't require Jewish nationalism or to hold firm to such an identity of any nation uh, because then they'd be enslaved to that nation rather than free in the name of God. 
Furthermore, to hold on to these things and demand that all of the people around them do the same thing was to exclude other people from the freedom of the true gospel, to exclude other people from the free gift of salvation that's already been paid for and already been made available to anybody who would choose it. And now, and now you and I, um, as modern Christians, uh, we have similar issues, okay? We have to ask the question of, of what have we added to the true gospel? When we think about what have we added to the true gospel, we have to ask really hard questions about whether we're following a false gospel in the name of a good Christian actions. There are good Christian actions that actually can enslave us. Um, They can exclude others, and and they can end up spiraling into following something that's not the true gospel, similar to what some of the Jewish Christians would have encountered. For us, in the true gospel, the good saving news, it, it doesn't mean believing in Jesus and never sinning again, right? That would be absurd. But similarly, it doesn't mean uh, that following the true gospel and and placing your faith in Jesus and voting Republican or voting Democrat or voting third party. It doesn't mean believing in Jesus and wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. It doesn't mean Jesus and protesting, Jesus and law and order, Jesus and colorblindness, Jesus and reparations. It's not even Jesus and reading your Bible or praying every day or practicing spiritual disciplines or or sharing the gospel with your neighbor or letting your actions speak louder than words or attending a church in a building or tithing to your church or raising kids that choose Jesus or getting married or abstaining from sex before you get married or getting baptized or, or taking communion or going to Bible study or hanging out with really, really good Christians. It's not Jesus and anything. You cannot add anything to the true gospel to grant you a truer and a better salvation. And if we do, we become enslaved to the very things we've added, void of our freedoms again. Now, I want to be very clear that when I've said all of these things, I am not condemning any of the actions I just named. In fact, I have many, many opinions about all of the actions I've named. Some of the actions I've named I commit to as an act of obedience to God, and it's a way that I live out my faith. I believe that many of them are good and beautiful works that God has appointed for his people. And as Christians, we are called to commit to many of these actions out of an act of obedience to the Lord. We are called to partner with God in, his, in our faith and actions to see about his transformation on the, on the world today. What I am saying is that none of these actions grant you salvation. None of these actions are the true gospel. None of these actions are a substitute or an addition to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that has ever offered you salvation and the only thing that can bring you true freedom is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're all too quick to say that I know I am a Christian because I do X, Y, and Z, and I know they are a Christian because they do X, Y, and Z, and and we demand that other people do the same actions as us, and we exclude people from the freedom of the gospel when we do that. And, and maybe this seems obvious to you. Maybe, maybe this seems like, well, Dudge and I've known this for most of my life, but we are very quick to confuse salvation with actions. And even if we don't say it with our words, um, we have an attitude in our heart and in our mind that warns us that we've begun to lose focus on the true gospel. 
And so the opportunity I want to pose for you today is actually to ask you, do you have an opportunity, a catalytic moment, an opportunity to change course and choose the true gospel? For you, that that might be COVID-19 that caused you to think more about your priorities. It might be the race protests and uprisings or a looming divisive presidential election or the new reality of church in digital formats or other milestones in your life, like a job change or how your family is changing. Maybe it's this moment right now. Maybe this is your shaky by the shoulders catalytic moment. Galatians is actually inviting us into the freedom of the true gospel. It's only found in Christ, and I want to invite you to dive deeper into that as well. And so I have a couple of next steps that I want to invite you into an opportunity to dive deeper into the true gospel and make sure that your salvation and your faith is squarely founded on the true gospel of Jesus Christ. First, I want to invite you to stick with us for the Galatians series this summer. Um, the rest of our series, you know, we're going to encounter the question of, okay, if all of this is true about the true gospel, then how then shall I live? That's what we're going to cover for so much of our series. We'll dig deep into what it means to live out our faith, knowing that our salvation is centered firmly on the foundation of the true gospel. The second thing I want to invite you to do is I actually want to invite you to read the entire book of Galatians, the whole letter of Galatians, because that's the way it was meant to be read. And I want you to ask questions of it. I want you to push back on the parts that are confusing or the parts that you think you might not agree with, and then invite God into that process and join us on the weekends or whenever you can encounter the the services and the messages that we're putting out and, and discover more freedom through your reading of the Bible. And the third thing I want to invite you to do is to actually pay attention to your actions. Uh, Are you adding to the true gospel in your actions? Are you demanding that of other people? Because this summer, you're you're going to have a bunch of opportunities uh, to live out the true gospel. You might attend a group or you might serve in a needed area. You actually might attend our outdoor service that's coming up on July 19th. Um, We finally have the opportunity for us to be able to meet in person. And since we'll be maintaining social distancing, it's actually really important that you RSVP for uh, this event on our website. And actions like attending the service or attending a group or serving people in need, um, these are good and beautiful things that we do in community. You know, living in the truth of the true gospel doesn't mean we don't do anything. It doesn't mean that we just um, sit back and, and, and rest in our salvation and we don't, we don't try to actually live out our faith in the world. It means that we pay attention to the motives behind our actions. It means we always come back to center of the true gospel being founded on Jesus Christ. And so when we choose to act out our faith, however that might be, we need to be mindful about how our actions are, are, and how our actions are being perceived. Are they simply there to justify our own salvation? Or are they a step of obedience, seeking our creator, longing to move closer to Jesus and what he has intended for us? And similarly, when we take actions and when others take actions or don't take actions, we need to resist from qualifying other people's salvation based on their action or lack of action. This is good news for us, church, okay? This is good news that our salvation doesn't require Jesus and something else, okay? It's good news that we don't have to earn our salvation by picking just the right actions, right? There's been more, more than a time or two that I've had an action that has made me more than aware that I don't deserve the salvation that I've been given through Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, he invites us freely into salvation, and it doesn't require us to be perfect or to get everything right or to hide our mess or to cover up our shame, because the true gospel invites us into relationship with Jesus, who is already taken care. He's already taken care of the mess, and he promises to bring all things to completion. In Christ, we get to find a freedom where we don't have to keep tabs on, on the litmus test of how am I doing with my salvation today, right? We don't need to check off necessary actions to make sure we can keep our subscription. There is no auto pay that we have to set up because the gift has already been paid for. It's already been freely given. And it's out of that freedom that we are invited to move deeper into relationship with Jesus so that we would experience his transformation and so that every single person on the planet could encounter the saving, saving message of the true gospel, encounter the same opportunity, and encounter true freedom through Christ. Let's pray. Creator God, we, we acknowledge you, that you alone are the path to true salvation, to the true gospel, and we ask that you would, you would open our hearts and minds to the moments when we start drifting to believe that um, we are free because of our actions or how good we are or what we're doing. And I just ask that you would gently guide us towards a path that leads towards your true freedom. Uh, would we be a people who are quick to listen to you, quick to seek you, um, quick to be obedient to you rather than to the world around us? Um, we can never praise you enough for the gift that you have already given us, and we ask that our lives um, and that our church um, would actually give you glory until the end of time, just as you have designed it to be. In Jesus' name, amen.